Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the edition of the Teamwork Advantage. I'm Greg Gregory, and fortunate with us today, we're privileged to have a great author, publisher, speaker, and a PhD in experience. Harry Paul is one of the authors of the amazing book, Fish. Now, if you remember that book from uh, several years ago, it was a phenomenon in the workplace. And I tell you today, if you look back at it, those principles are still 100% on target with what you're looking at today. I actually picked up my copy of the book the other day and just kind of went back through it uh, right here. As I go through it, you know, uh, you still have the choose your attitude. And I, that's something I've spoken about for years. And then having fun, not just playing at work, but making it a state of mind. Those types of things are so critical today. So to talk with us a little bit about culture and how this all comes into fact, Ladies and gentlemen, Teamwork Advantage, welcome Harry Paul. Hey, thanks, Greg. How's everyone out there? Hey, Hopefully you're enjoying here. staying in, right? Yes. The COVID virus has got everything all kind of messed up, depending when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, we are in the middle of the COVID-19 uh, virus. And uh, Harry's on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast, and the miracles of technology bring us together. Yes, they do. And, and as you'll notice, I have my COVID hair on. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, Harry, so let's talk just a little bit about uh, how you got started uh, in doing some of this, the writing. You worked for Ken Blanchard, and something I just learned a little earlier was you were one of the original publishers of his book, The One Minute Manager. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, I had a company uh, called Budget Books, and I helped authors, co I helped authors self-publish books. So, oh, I guess it was 79, Spencer Johnson, who was the co-author of The One Minute Manager and the author of Who Moved My Cheese, came to my office and he wanted me to produce a book called The Precious Present, which was another one of his fairly successful books. And in the middle of doing that project, he comes by with Ken Blanchard and he goes, we're putting that project aside, I have this book to do and it was the one minute manager and you know i looked through the book and it starts off once upon a time it's a business parable these guys are very cash and i gave them a, a an estimate of seventy five hundred dollars to produce five thousand copies and they go well we really don't have the money but we will give you ten percent of the book if you print it for us uh, at no charge and i'm thinking Two cash guys, you know, coming from the beach, it looks like. Uh, a business book starting once upon a time. I go, no, I'll take it up front and cash. <laughs> uh, it was kind of a mistake. But of, how many copies has One Minute Manager sold, you know? 18 million copies. It's a book that if anybody's in any kind of a management position, they really have read. I mean, it's referenced all over the place. It really is. And, and it's probably... Uh, one of the top three or four best-selling business books of all time. Uh, but if I think if I would have taken that deal, I may have not gotten to the place I am now where I had the opportunity 
to co-author Fish because maybe life would have taken me in different directions. Because you fast forward from 1980 to 2000, I got to do my own book and uh, became fairly successful. Right now, I think we're up to uh, six million copies worldwide in 35 languages and still sells very well. And our publisher, Hachette Books, it's their number one backlisted title for sales. Mm -hmm. So it, it still does well. And, um, you know, maintained a, a friendship with Ken, worked for him for several years when I got tired of uh, running my own company, and then uh, got to do a, a whole new thing in 2000 when uh, the book came out, Fish, it did very well. And mm -hmm. as you know, Greg, once you're a, a, an author and your book is a bestseller, you automatically uh, become a speaker, a professional speaker. So, in my uh, case, I'm doing it the other way around, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, new set of skills came about. Yeah. Uh, and that's how at, you and I met 50. when we were uh, several years ago doing um, uh, the fish philosophy projects on some conferences. And uh, it, it's, it's a powerful, powerful book. For those who have not read it, in the last couple of weeks, when I was telling folks we were going to get together, I was asking people if they'd read it and they hadn't. If you had to give a quick synopsis of the original Fish book, okay, in 40 seconds, what would you say? I would say it helps you learn to love what you're doing, no matter what it is you're doing, and even if it's not the thing you thought you would be doing. It gives you, and as we were speaking about before, it gives you a new perspective, a new attitude for what you're doing. It helps you realize that you have a sense of purpose. You uh, are making a difference in the world with what you're doing, no matter what it is you're doing. And, and a good example um, is you could, you know, someone could say, yeah, I'm a dishwasher. What's the big deal about a dishwasher? But what fish helps you look at is, you may be a dishwasher, but what you do is you help people consume food from a germ-free environment. It takes wow. it to and a different that's level. That's incredibly important to recognize that value. Right. It's uh, and it's the product behind the product. What is it that we really do? Think about uh, insurance. You know, oh, I, I have to have insurance or life insurance. It's, you know, no one wants to deal with that. And I go, well, you know, guys like you and me, we're on the road all the time. And if we have insurance, we know that loved ones are going to be taken care of. So we didn't buy an insurance policy. Uh, we bought peace of mind. Right. It's that same thing. And that's what I've gotten out of fish over the years is how to do it. And I've taken it in uh, directions of getting the people to be so engaged because I find the philosophies in fish helps the, or the whole team become much more engaged, energized. When you do that, your morale goes up, uh, turnover goes down, uh, energy gets happy. People enjoy what they do and productivity goes up and guess what? Customer service does too. Exactly. So that all ties into a culture. So in one aspect, I, years ago, people were talking about the book fish as being more of a cult book. It was so powerful that way in helping people really develop a culture. Tell us a little bit of how the book came about. Interestingly, you know, I'd like to say my co-authors and I, we had this, you know, we were doing white papers and research and said, 
this would be, you know, this, this information is great to share. Well, it didn't happen that way. My co-author, John, who uh, is a filmmaker, right? and you may know one of his other very successful films uh, by Joel Barker, The Business of Paradigms. Okay. And I know he, that, and I actually have met John when I was doing a conference one time. He was in the audience. There you go. Mm -hmm. And John was doing some video work up in Seattle, and he was, someone suggested that he would find the fish market fascinating and it is the number one tourist destination in seattle so he went down to the uh pike place public market and he sees these guys and it's like almost street theater yeah and they're having so much fun and there's so much energy doing what they're doing john said wow i'd love to get that into his you know my company how can i get that energy and then you know he's watching it he goes wait this is something that people would like to know about and understand mm -hmm. that it's not just his company, all companies can learn from that. And he walked up to the owner and introduced himself, said what he did. And he goes, I'd like to make a video and uh, share it with the world of what you do. And, you know, explain that he, he does corporate videos. And the owner, Johnny said, we've been waiting for someone to ask us that question for quite some time. And so John filmed it and edited it came it down to i think 17 minutes mm -hmm. and and how i got involved he sent it to ken blanchard to see what ken thought about the book ken loved the video i watched it and i said it's good it needs a little editing but it's good and ken says i love it so much ken was on a big seminar circuit through a company called lessons in leadership speaking to tens of thousands of people a year live and he started showing that video and that helped, and the video started doing well, and it became the best-selling business video of all time because it showed that market, showed how much fun they were having, but it also showed how successful they were and how they took care of each other and the customers. Right. So that's kind of my first introduction. Then, as you know, uh, the, the normal uh, pattern is you do a book and then a video. Well, this was a video, and then they decided to do a book, so they wrote a cop, they wrote a, a manuscript, sent it to Ken, and asked him if he would be uh, a co-author. He did not like the book, he gave it to me, I thought the book needed a lot of work, and, he, and one thing about Ken Blanchard, he has no ability to say no. So part of my job description was to say no. So I said, listen, Ken loves your video. He will promote your video. He's not uh, excited about the book and he doesn't want to be a co-author, but appreciate, appreciates the opportunity. And I said, I read it and whatever life you have that is at the market, whatever life you got in that video, it never made it to the book. Well, they took that as an opportunity to rewrite the book, sent it to Ken. Ken gives it to me and says, I don't have time. I'm not interested. So I read the book over and I said, Ken, I know what's wrong with the book. I said, these are the things I would do if I were them to this book. And he goes, well, share it with him. And I did. And they asked me to be a co-author. I don't know if it was because of what I shared with them that because it made sense uh, or they knew I had access to Ken's publishing black book. So uh, you, 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 you decide. And um, so I Either turned way, it down. Your co-author on the book. That's right. I turned them down. copies later. Yeah, I turned them down three times. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, if you want me, I will be uh, an equal partner and we, I will rewrite the storyline. Because uh, that's, you know, little things, as an author, you know, the little things make a difference. Like in the beginning of the book, in the actual fish book, she becomes widowed. You instantly, unexpectedly, you instantly build empathy. Mm-hmm. In their original version, they had uh, her as a divorced woman. Half the marriages in the country end up in divorce or something like that. So there's no empathy there. She had a great relationship with her boss. I said, mm, I don't know if that really uh, is the way the world is. And so we put a, a, an adversary in the book. Mm-hmm. So things like that just changed the whole complexion of the book. Right. And um, we packaged it and sent it off for publishing. And that's what's powerful because more and more today, books, uh, business thought processes, training programs in general are going back to parables and stories to illustrate key points. Where in the past, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, it was data dump, data dump, data dump. This is how you do it. Um, You know, then now it's getting into the why and what's going on and bring life to it and make it a living, breathing document. And uh, one of my favorite books outside of this is the five dysfunctions of a team by Patrick Lencioni. And he does the same thing, tells a beautiful parable and telling the story through that. And so it's all about what it does for the business. So the book is great. My question now is how does that culture, how do you translate that? Because that's what fish was about what it is. Then of course you followed up with the, uh, the book called fish tales. And then that was then followed up with the book fish sticks. And Fish Tales has got stories in here, which I thought were wonderful. You know, uh, again, it goes back into understanding the play aspects and then how they did it. And then the companies that do that. Right. And Tales on it. And again, if you notice the word Tales, T-A-L-E-S, I think is just powerful. So how important is culture in today's workplace? I mean, with everybody now starting to work from home, how do we keep it? Well, the, the, the easiest way to think about corporate culture is the fish market. They were striving to be no better than their competition. And one of the fishmongers said, and they were not doing well, and one of the newer, younger fishmongers said, we got to start doing things differently. We've got to start acting differently. And, you know, everyone's looking at each other going, what? And he goes, well, and, 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 you know, the idea blossomed. We should act like we're world famous. They didn't know what that was, but it gave them a, a spark of an idea. Mm-hmm. So they started acting differently, uh, drawing customers in with their, their throwing fish. And, and let's, uh, let's back up for just a second. All the joking. Because there's a lot of folks who may not know about Pike's Fish Market in general. I've had the privilege to be out there several times. I've actually gotten behind the counter with them, thrown and caught the fish. So tell everybody what their philosophy is in the market about fish and throwing and what they do. Okay, so they decided to become world famous. And when you're world famous, you act and think differently. And to remind them of that, they changed their name from the Pike Place Fish Market to the world famous Pike Place Fish Market. So when they go to work every day, their thought processes we're world famous, we got to act world famous. Okay. And the whole throwing of the fish, you know, because if you look at the four parts of the fish philosophy, choose your attitude, play, be there, make their day. Well, you got to have a great attitude. You got to have some fun mm-hmm. at work, not instead of. 
You got to be present with people and make them feel great. That's the whole fish philosophy. So they started looking for ways. So having a good attitude, making people feel special and being present, they're all things that we've known forever. But how do you get play to be part of work? And if you, what they're famous for is throwing fish, like you caught a fish. That's very efficient work. It's a lot of fun, but it's very efficient work because if you go there, you're on the other side of the counter, obviously. You go, oh, I want that king salmon. I want a fillet I'm going to take with me on an airplane. Well, the fishmonger is going to pick up that salmon. He's going to throw it to somebody behind the counter. He's going to yell out one fillet of salmon flying away to uh, Baltimore. Now, everyone who's working at the fish market at that time yells out one filet of salmon flying away to Baltimore. Well, guess what? You have closed loop feedback, no chance of the order getting messed up. While that order is being processed, the fishmonger is in front of the counter building relationship with the customer instead of walking the 35 steps around the counter to hand off the fish. So what looked like fun is, but it's also <laughs> efficient. So you gotta look for ways that you can do your work enjoy it but make sure it's not a diversion because when we were first doing this a lot of people would say oh fun we could put that in we could make it part of our culture we'll decorate our office space and we'll have tasty taco tuesday and freaky shirt friday that's not culture that's something that's going to get dusty and old very very quickly it's got to be part of the culture mm -hmm. uh working with some nurses uh, in the Midwest, you know, I said, everyone has something to throw. Now, in my mind, I was being using that as a metaphor. And then nurses were taking it very practical. Uh, oh, throw. What do we have to throw? And I go, uh-oh, you know, you don't say that to a nurse. I'm, I'm married to a retired nurse uh, because I'm thinking all of a sudden it's going to be potty humor. But one of the nurses says, Harry, we have something to throw. And I go, uh -oh, here it comes. And she goes, we are nurses. We throw love and compassion. You wow. see how that works for them. That's their idea and of That's fun. the secret that people got so lost in. They yes. thought they had to throw an item. And right. Getting them to understand, throw yourselves into your work and things of that nature was so powerful. Right. Or think about it as how many people answer the phone. Hi, this is Joe Smith. Or, hello, uh, it's, it's like, when it will be a robot, or, instead of, uh, hi, my name is Harry Paul, how may I exceed your expectations today? Wow, mm -hmm. I just hooked you in, not to yeah. use a pun. Well, and that's the same thing I've done in my book, One Team, One Dream. At the back of the book, I tell people, when you finish with somebody, whether it's a colleague, a customer, or a manager, it doesn't matter, don't sit there and say, have a good day, because when you have a good day, you're having an average day. So I say, have a marvelous Monday, a terrific Tuesday, a wonderful Wednesday, a thriving Thursday, a fabulous Friday, a superlative Saturday, a sensational Sunday. And you make yourself different. Could you say and that a little faster? <laughs> <laughs> you uh, know, you're, you're right. It's all about that, uh, that attitude of how you think about things when you come to work. What do you say to yourself when you cross the threshold? Do you say, I got to go to work or I get to go to work? That goes back to the great Zig Ziglar, who used to say, he doesn't look at it as an alarm clock. He looks at it as an opportunity clock. Which is, yeah, Zig has some great quotes. And that's, um, that's, the, that's the philosophy. I mean, it's really not new. It's just packaging it a little differently to get the culture there. Because what happens is 
when we start having that mindset, that starts to drive the culture with the organization. Right. And people got to understand everyone, every company, whether you're a company of one or a company of a million, because not many companies have a million employees. But the point is, everyone has a culture. They may not be able to identify it. Mm -hmm. They may not understand it. But you have a culture. What is a culture? You know, you can look at all the complex, and I'm sure you have, because we talk about this all the time, you know, the definitions of culture. What is a culture? It's the environment in which we make decisions. Are we a learning? Do we have a learning culture? Do we take care well, of our customer let's culture? Let's say, let's say that again. What is a culture? Yeah. It's the environment in which we make decisions. Exactly. That's so it. We recently interviewed a gentleman um, that is the CEO of an IT company. And in that interview with Hainan Landa, we talked specifically about his core values. And they use those core values to make their decisions. So that is his culture because that is the environment for which they make their decisions. Right. And, and you know, people, what is a mission? What is a vision? What are values? Well, it's very easy to understand. The way I look at it, a vision is where you want to go. Mm -hmm. A mission is how you go, how are you going to get there and the values, what guides your decisions. Mm -hmm. That's your culture. What's your right there. Yeah. At Ken Blanchard companies, their culture was people are important. And if you treat your people well, they'll treat your customers well. We're in this together. We're a sharing organization, a learning organization, and we have a lot of fun. Well, that's the culture. And, and, and you know, Wait a minute, we have to take care of each other and take care of our customers? Yep, that's the culture. It's that environment. The, the, the fish market, their whole thing is to create street theater to get people excited about buying fish. Mm -hmm. But and it works. They're about throwing their compassion and love into everything. And exactly. in today's world, that, there's nothing more powerful than that than than our frontline people dealing with the COVID-19 viruses. Yeah, and you can see it in companies. There are a lot of companies out there that have a, um, a culture that has fun they, they, as part of it. Um, WD-40, they have a market penetration of what, 95%? I, 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 I challenge anyone who doesn't have a Canon WD-40 in their house. Uh, or two. Or two, exactly. Yeah, Their culture, they consider themselves a tribe. And fun is part of the tribe's culture. And they take care of each other. That way they can take care of the customers well. Southwest Airlines, mm -hmm. the same exact thing. They're the only one, they're the ones that started the, the uh, safety briefings that had fun you know, there may be 50 ways to leave your lover, but there are only four ways off this airplane. Right. Uh, little, and what did we do? When they put the fun into the safety briefing, we listened. We listened. So yeah. that's the whole, the whole point. WD-40 did. Zappos. When, uh, if you've ever been to Zappos in Las Vegas, when you're waiting, if you want to go take a tour, there's a library. And in the library are fish books because that's part of who they are. Uh, play is important part of their work process. And that's something that I stress over and over again. If you want play in your culture, it's got to be part of the work process. I, 
I've been to every kind of organization in the world uh, speaking about fish. And from conservative Islamic banks to the, in the Middle East, to the FBI and Quantico, and they all were craving somehow to enjoy or have some fun at work. And that's so powerful because once we have the fun, then we can work on making somebody else's day. Yeah. And that, Where do we want to spend I still time? remember, apart from that video, and it's been 15, 18 years since I've seen the video, but there's the one scene where the guy says, I can't get upset at that customer for asking me the same question that a customer just before them asked because they don't know each other. Exactly. And exactly. that's so powerful when we start. I can remember that scene right out of the video. It's so powerful to understand that. Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the, when you're working with that customer, and that's a part of the be there. You know, you have to be present with that customer. The other customer is gone. You did a great job with the other customer. Now it's time to do it. And they may, like you said, ask you that same question. And it's all about, you know, getting back to a culture where work is the place where you want to spend time. Where, uh, you know, Zig calls it an opportunity clock. It's getting up in the morning and not saying I have to go to work. I get to go to work. It's looking in the mirror in the morning and say, today I'm going to be magnificent. That's the attitude I'm going to choose today because what happens is, as we know with our brains, if we don't say we're going to be magnificent, we're choosing ordinary by default. When you choose ordinary by default, guess what you'll be? Ordinary. It's almost like, you know, you're spinning your car out in an accident. You're going to hit what you look at. (laughs) If your mind's going to go in that same concept. I'll never forget one night I had done a brutal travel trip. And I had been in Seattle and I had to come back through San Francisco and I had to get to Denver for a class the next day. And I was exhausted. I had been back and forth across the country and this was pre nine 11. So security was a little bit different. And so I remember going through and there was a young lady there on the other end of the bell where you put your bags through the x-ray machine. And she says, hi, how are you tonight? You know, just boring, dull, I said, I am amazing and I'm getting better. She looked at me with a tone of voice and she said, well, somebody's in a good mood in a very sarcastic voice. I looked at her and I couldn't have been more than three, four feet from her. And I said, why would you ever choose to be in a bad mood? And don't you know, she said to the secondary inspection. No, no. She smiled and she said, thank you for reminding me it is a choice. The next person through that line, they were excited. Hi, welcome to San Francisco. How are you tonight? Exactly. Now, she was only that way probably for about 10 or 15 minutes till the next person came through and screamed at her. Because we are a mirror of what we get fed. Yeah. And, you know, you have to be the master of your own emotions. Yes. Uh, that's what fish does for us. Right. Because if you're not, and you're trying to change a a lot of people, uh, their their, their attitudes, you're going to end up being in a bad mood. It's okay to help them see a different perspective. You did not try to change her. No. uh, And I did not. You tried to say, hey, there's a better way. Mm -hmm. Your choice. Yes. And she chose. She made the choice. 
Right. You, you know, um, a few years ago, I was in New York City with uh, our daughter, Rachel, because she was looking at grad schools. And she goes, Dad, well, and Rachel and I share a love of art. And she said, Dad, I got to go to the Museum of Modern Art to see my favorite painting. It's a, a Starry Night by Vincent van Gogh, which is probably second most popular painting in the world behind the Mona Lisa. And it's a, a magnificent piece of art. And we go there and she was mesmerized. It was like a, 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 a calling for her or whatever, awakening. And we're walking out and all museums have museum guards. And the museum guards, for the most part, had that great body language. <laughs> and she could not, under, she walks up to this guy and she goes, you are so lucky. And he kind of looks at her across, you know, sideways. She goes, you realize you have the greatest job in the world? And he kind of steps back. And she goes, You're, get, you get to stand here all day, surrounded by all this beautiful artwork, and you get to stare at a starry night anytime you want. And it was like, this went to this. And he goes, wow, I really feel good about myself right now. The whole, everything changed. The body not try to change the, the positioning, everything starts to change in people. Yeah, she just gave him a new perspective. Be the master of your emotions, because if you're not, you try to keep on changing people's attitudes, you're the one that's going to end up with a bad one. Yeah, and that's, that's so powerful because I often say that, you know, we're going to be the mirror of what we see, so why not start that mirror off in the right direction by reflecting the power that we have? Right, And that's right. so powerful. Um, I don't know, eight or ten years ago, my wife and I were at the grocery store, and um, I, my normal, goofy, giggly, fun self, as I try to be, and the cashier says, wow. She looks to my wife and says, is he always like this? My wife goes, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the cashier goes, wow, that is so cool. My wife simply said, mm, not really. Yeah, she would have rolled her eyes. She rolled her eyes and said, "Yeah, not really." Not really. <laughs> yeah, my wife would say the same thing. But it's, it's I always power look in at that, that. how we can impact other people. So, as we get ready to wrap up, and we only have just a few minutes left, if we're understanding the concepts of fish, it's twenty what twenty five years, twenty years later. Twenty now? years since the book came out. Uh, March of this year was twenty years. And now you've got a new released edition. Yes. Right. I think you've got a copy of that. Okay, the new release. It's the one where it says over 6 million sold. Make sure you find that one on Amazon. And on the back, the essential New York Times bestseller. Okay. That stuff you got to be proud of once in a while, right? Absolutely. So there are some nuances in there that are a little different with the new book? Um, the parable is the same. Okay. And, and, and another thing, getting back to parables real quickly, what makes this a really powerful parable it's a parable about a real place as opposed to something totally imagined totally or taken from several different places. Uh, so what we've changed with it, and it says all, you know, all new discussion guide and success stories. So it, it, there are stories about how people have used this big companies, you know, uh, in there. And it's a discussion guide on why did she make a decision or why did the fishmonger help her in this particular part? Uh, of the story to help her bring the fish philosophy into her own company. And then there's a, uh, I guess it would be called a white paper of how a company took fish and it made a difference. Uh, 
because culture, attitude, fun, all of that doesn't mean anything if you're not successful. And to, to, to kind of put it all together, the fish market in Seattle that you've been to, the world famous Pike Place fish market, you may not know this, Greg, but in, within 150 yards of that fish market, there are three other fish markets selling yep. the same fish for the same price. Yep. They all go to one. Some people go to the other, but they all go to the other one. Mm -hmm. So it's not product, it's not price, it's culture, attitude, environment, fun, being present, making people's day, the culture you create. We do business with only people that we want to do business with that make us feel special. That's culture. And the same thing, people will leave a company uh, because the culture is not right. It, they don't feel right. They don't fit in with the people. Hire um, to culture like the fish market does. Yes. You can teach anybody how to fish, right. how to cut a fish, but can they live and enhance the culture? I, I uh, had the great, uh, uh, it was a, a great pleasure when Ken Blanchard uh, co-authored a book with Don Shula, the, the uh, NFL coach that recently passed away. Everyone's uh, a coach. Everyone's a coach, and, and I got to travel around the country with Ken and Don. And I remember asking Don, I said, "There's so many great college football players, and they're they're all within a, a minute part of a percentage point of skill. How do you choose?" He goes, "I choose the ones with heart. I'll teach them how to play football my way." Exactly. That's, That's exactly. Herb Brooks culture. did the same concept with the 1980 hockey team. I'm not choosing the best players. I'm choosing the right players. Right. So it all comes back down to fit. Kind of worked for them, too. Yeah, kind of worked did, for it? Yeah, kind of worked for Don, the only undefeated coach through the Super Bowl. Yeah, he beat the Redskins that year. I still remember that one. Yeah, well, you know, Joe Namath beat him when he was at Baltimore. So they all have little yeah. <laughs> little things that make him angry. Right. Or and we have also spoken with a um, former NFL player who's now an executive who also talks about transfer of those abilities and uh the power of coaching uh from sports so that's that's a great great concept glad you brought that up i want to thank you you and i could talk for hours we've done that before <laughs> yeah. and we do and usually exactly <laughs> it's so much fun when we get a chance to chat and doing it in a formal situation this time has been really helpful the teamwork advantage is all about helping people develop and get the right teamwork whether it's within yourselves because the team here has to start whether it's we're leading a team and we're trying to work with culture. It's what I like to call the TLC approach. Once we get all this together, we can make a difference in the lives of people we work with and the people we serve. And that's the power in it. Harry Paul, thanks again for joining us on the Teamwork Advantage. It's been a privilege to have you here. And uh, we'll be talking again sometimes when I get out to San Diego, when we start traveling again. All right. I appreciate it. And I, uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to share. Thanks, all Greg. All right. Take care. Be sure to go to Amazon or wherever you get your books to get the new release of The Fish Book. Take care, and until next time, be sure to make it a great day, because a good day is only being average. This has been The Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.